But it's also like a coat that we put on. Yes. Right? Like we create these shields, you know, and the habits are part of how we weave together these shields, these coats, these armors, right? To, to protect ourselves and keep us safe. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. My guest today is Dr. Tamsin Astor. Tamsin helps busy people organize themselves so they have time for what they want and need and time for fun. Tamsin is a native Londoner who moved to the USA in 2002 for a big adventure and never left. Three kids, six homes, a divorce, a child's cancer diagnosis, and two states later, she is a resident of the divine and gritty and musically resplendent and gastronomically fantastic and weather-challenged Cleveland, Ohio. Tamsin loves music, self-care, black chocolate, nourishing rituals, freshly baked bread, long hugs, dark rose coffee, and adding stamps to her passport and experiences to her heart and mind. She has a unique take on life, blending Eastern and Western traditions, a PhD in neuroscience, psychology, executive coaching, and certifications in yoga. This show brings you everything. It's hilarious. It's deep. It's confronting. And I really think you're going to enjoy it. So step right up. You're in the Trauma Hiders Club. Tamsin, here you are on the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. What do you want to most hide right now? Oh, that's a really good question. What do I want to most hide right now? Well, you know, I put on the COVID-19, which makes me feel like I want to hide my belly. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> because for the first time in my life, I have a goddamn muffin top. Ah, well, welcome to the club. It's not only the Trauma Hiders <laughs> Club, <laughs> it's the Muffin Top Club. <laughs> yeah, the, tr the COVID-19. I actually, it's funny, I hadn't heard that expression. I've heard like the COVID-20, but that is relevant. Right. And hilarious. Love it. Yeah. So your muffin top. 
Cool. Yeah, I mean, the the upside is that I like fill a bra cup really nicely right now, which is very exciting for me. And my ass looks fabulous. Love it. Uh, so that's all good, right? So you just like, just like direct attention away from the belly and like focus it on the tits and ass and it's all good. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. And here I, I'm like the COVID 40 and <laughs> look at my pretty face. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ta-da! You know, so my mom used to say to me if I when I would bitch about my body as a teenager, she's like, "Darling, you can always hide your body, but you know, unless you go and live somewhere where you're going to be wearing a hijab or a niqab, you're not going to hide your face, and your face is fabulous." So I was like, "You're right, mom." <laughs> yes, winning, absolutely winning. <laughs> nice. Okay, so hiding the rolls. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to say to get into the spirit of Trauma Hiders Club, and it's funny, the spirit of Trauma Hiders Club is all of it. That's mm. just it. It's it's bringing all of ourselves into this space, the parts we love, the parts we hate, the parts that keep us up at night. And uh, yeah, so bringing <laughs> bringing your COVID-19 is OK, too. There we yeah. go, baby. Yay. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. What made you say yes to being in this space? I am somebody that loves um, having conversations about my experience, about, you know, what I've seen, what I felt, what I've learned, because I'm a mm. big believer in learning from my experiences. And one of the things that I love about the world we live in now is that there's, you know, with people like Brene Brown and you know, Elizabeth Gilbert and Glennon Doyle, there's so many women out there who put themselves out there in all of their glory, right? And I think that that one of the things that is so powerful about many of us getting out there and talking about our, our experiences is that we normalize it. Because, you know, so many people's social media channels are so, you know, filtered and produced and beautiful that, you know, you can end up looking at the world and think, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> you know, and I think it's really important to have all the conversations, the dirty, the messy, the gritty, the vulnerable, the, yeah. the shame inducing ones, right? Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I contend we have all been through a, a global trauma, mm, mm, right? Mm. We've all lived through this pandemic. Didn't see it coming. Some people did, but the vast majority, right? We didn't see it coming. Our lives get upended. We may have been comfortable mm -hmm. in our homes and some of us may not have been comfortable in our homes. Um, but, but, Everything changed, not unlike a car crash, not unlike a traumatic event. This is trauma. And so, damn, like if there's ever a time to talk about it, it's now because everyone, as they uh, quote unquote, no, go back to normal or create the new normal, we're all carrying our bags of shit with us. Yeah. Whether it's loss whether it's disappointment, whether it's the fear, whether it's like, I don't know that I can be near you. And so my relationship with you at work is going to change, whatever that is, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's just this new, this rawness. The time is now. Mm -hmm. So listen, people, the time is now. Start talking about your trauma. So 
I hear from you, Tamsin, such a healthy willingness, openness, humorous approach to who you are and how you be. Who, who or what have been your helpers along the way, even if, by the way, helpers can be unhelpful? but you chose them anyway. <laughs> the assholes who forced us to reflect and change. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think partly it was, you know, how I grew up. So I grew up with incredibly loving parents and grandparents who, you know, told me they loved me all the time mm -hmm. and affirmed my, you know, my mind, right? So I grew up in a home where there were always interesting people, architects, you know, food critics, um, doctors, you know, see, female CEOs, gay couples. So I grew up in a home and I was encouraged to, you know, participate in the dinner table conversation. Mm. So, I, and we traveled a lot as well. So I grew up in a home where I was, you know, my, my intellectual, emotional well-being was really well focused on, you know, and what I thought about and how I showed up and how I volunteered and how I stood up for people and how I thought about things was a big part of how I grew up. Mm. So that was an, a really powerful start. And that included, for example, my mother saying to me, you know, as a teenager, when you are comfortable opening up and sharing your real self, you will make deep friendships. If, if you have a, if you keep a veneer of everything's fine, you won't connect deeply with people. And to this day, I can't develop deep friendships with people who are like, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I fucking know it's not. I've been right. like, like, nobody's fine with everything in all areas of their life all the time. Like, that's not reality. You know? Yes. That was my start, really, I think, was because I had this great foundation, right? That really kind of grounded me in who I was and how I wanted to show up in the world and a sort of, a, a you know, a kind of ethical, moral value-driven framework, you know? Really cool. Why were your parents, <laughs> I'm like, why were your parents? Why were your parents and grandparents so hip and checked in and encouraging? And how do we get more of that? No, really, like what, what was, why so open? So I think partly it was that my dad um, had bucked the trend in his family and instead of going into the sort of the family business of, you know, managing money and property and all of that, he became, he started by actually having a TV show in the 60s, right out of high school. He went to London, got a TV show in front of the BBC and he was really interested in kind of social and political issues of the day, like teen pregnancy and, and juvenile incarceration. And this was in the, this was in the mid 60s. And then he got really fascinated by therapy and went back to school and became a Jungian psychoanalyst. So I grew up in a home with a father who was very much encouraging of my inner world, <laughs> right? And my mother had grown up in Africa because my grandparents had gone out to Africa during World War II and had stayed there for 25 years. So my mother had grown up, you know, moving between different cultures. And my parents are both big travelers. To this day, they'll text me. They're, you know, I mean, obviously not with COVID, but they'll text me and go, we're in Burma, darling. <laughs> you know, like, have you got a balcony in Burma? You know, I love that about them. Yes. But so that, I think it was partly, you know, my dad's experience of his own, like, following this, you know, I grew up in a home where it was like, do stuff that is good for the world, good for society, and that gets you out of bed every day that you're excited about, right? 
So that was, I think, part of it. And then my grandparents, you know, had survived World War Two and all of the trauma of that. And then living in Africa for 25 years, which was, again, you know, an extraordinary experience. So they were just incredibly loving and supportive and, you know, open to encouraging all of us to explore our dreams. So I grew up in a home where it was just like, you know, be who you want to be, you know, but be a good human doing it, you know, so wow. I think that came from yeah wow incredible almost i i feel like you're you're some little british cartoon character <laughs> <laughs> with like these amazing parents right there is a british cartoon i swear it's like a children's <laughs> show with just you know this little character who goes on these amazing adventures what a life yeah so yeah. brilliant were your parents holocaust survivors so my grandparents actually were in England and my grandfather joined the army as a linguist because he, he had flat feet. He wanted to be a pilot, had flat feet, but because he spoke many languages, because he had been born in India and had grown up in, in Switzerland, he was sent off to Africa to break down East German spy rings. And my grandmother was a nurse and drove ambulances as a, you know, quote unquote, first responder to the bomb dropping and the plane crashes in Bristol in the four, early 40s during World War II. What a fascinating past. Amazing. And here you are. It's so incredibly apparent in you with these fascinating people who came before you. I mean, I, I hear it in you in, in the few moments I've experienced you. Just fascinating. Yeah. Like so much life. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly, exactly. And gratitude. Yeah, really cool. What does it take for you to open up to your own human experience? What do you, so explain what you mean by me opening up to it. I actually think the question that I'm taking a look at is when it comes to traumatic events in our mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. or you, or even if you call it your own personal trauma story, what did it take for you to open up to your trauma story? What was in you that opened you up to being okay with, with your own humanity in the face of trauma? So I think that, you know, the thing that's interesting for me with the traumas that I've experienced, which include a child being diagnosed with, with um, cancer, was the, was the inherent resilience of, of, of us humans and the importance of getting through each moment, right? So I remember when I was standing in the ER when my son was diagnosed with cancer, one of my yoga, I just finished my first yoga teacher training and just started teaching yoga, 2008. And I remember one of my teachers saying to me, you know, when you have these difficult moments, just breathe. And I literally just remember standing like with my back against the wall in the ER. My son was asleep after we'd, he'd had like seven or eight hours of testing. And I just stood there and I was like, inhale, exhale. That like, that's all you need to concentrate on right now. Yes, <laughs> yes. Really nice. And your son, your son having a cancer diagnosis. I mean, my, my mind goes to many, many places. One, how is he today? 
So he's coming up for 13 years cancer-free in September, and he'll be going into being a sophomore in high school. Wow, beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) And he'll learn to drive soon. Yay, I know. And I actually suspect he'll get his license before his older brother, who has (laughs) shown no interest in it so far. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. And I can imagine the myriad of ways a diagnosis in in a child affects the family, affects your relationships, affects your world. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us, can you share with us how, what shifted in your world in terms of how, how you related to your world or relationship or? So um, I think, yeah, I mean, the, so some of the big, the biggest things that I experienced through that and have, you know, really worked hard to hold on to is just to let all that little shit go, right? So I remember one of the parents, my children all went through Montessori school when they were little. And one of the teachers said to me, you know, can you come in and give a talk about, um, you know, kids being given the freedom to dress themselves because that's part of the whole Montessori method, right? Is that autonomy. And, you know, so I came in and was talking about, you know, know, quote unquote experienced parent, you know, this is my third child going through it, yada, yada, right? Um, And one of the women was there, I just can't stand it when she puts plaid with spots. Like it just really bothers me that she goes, and I'm like, she's four years old, right? You know, you know, like this, you know, and so for me, it's like, you know, like, so when my, you know, kids are like, wanted to go to school in their unicorn pajamas, you know, with like Mm -hmm. maple syrup down the front, I was like, I love you, you know, and I, the most important thing that you'd go off to school knowing is that I love you and you can do this, you know, not that you're wearing unicorn pajamas with maple syrup on the front. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. My kids also went through Montessori. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. And my younger son wore a costume, I think pretty much every day uh, (laughs) from the time he was two to four. Mm -hmm. And he would say, well, yesterday wasn't costume day. So today must be costume day. (laughs) And he would put on a costume. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's the way it goes, right? We have to let things go. You've got, here you are in the face of the unknown. Yeah. Right. The unknown. Right. You have you have a three year old with a diagnose a cancer diagnosis and and right and to hear that what's upsetting this this woman's world <laughs> is plaid and spots. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so and it's about just like and it's like what what are you going to have your battles over as a parent mm. too? You know, yeah. like where you know there's so many things to get upset about as a parent and and you know and I think. You know, learning to pick the things that are important, like how did you treat that person? You know, how are you feeling about this? How are you thinking about how you showed up? It's so much more important, you know, than than what you're wearing, you know? Right, right. In your book, Force Habit, Unleash Your Power by Developing Great Habits, I'm curious, um, when, when studying habits and being a chief habit scientist, uh, I'm curious if you wrestled with how habits can relate to trauma, good and bad. 
I think one of the things, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I talked a little bit about it in terms of my son mm -hmm. and about my, my marriage ending. And I think one of the things is that we fall into coping habits. So that's where I uh, see yes. it in this space a lot, right? Whether it's, it's the, it's the numbing behavior that feel that becomes a habit. The, I've had a shitty day, I'm gonna open a bottle of wine, right? I've broken up with somebody, I'm gonna eat a tub of Ben and Jerry's. Mm. My boss did X, Y, or Z, I'm gonna get takeout pizza, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, Have you been watching me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we, 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 so that's the one space that I see it in, is that we fall mm -hmm. into these ways of numbing our pain. And, and also the other way I see it and I, you know, and I saw that play out with my ex-husband um, was, was the, the way you fall into the same arguments. And I, and I actually work through that with a lot of my clients. I do, I do um, detoxes, which are based on the Ayurvedic model, but include, you know, evaluating your key relationships mm. um, and looking at where you're not creating the time and energy to have the, what do we want our lives to look like in five, 10 years type thing? And how can I support you on your journey kind of mm -hmm. conversation? But also why do we keep having the same goddamn fucking argument about who's emptying the dishwasher, right? Yes. <laughs> like how in 10 or 15, years are we still having this argument like can we figure out a way of breaking this down or you know whatever it is right yes yeah i've been thinking about the habits that i've had since i was 10 years old right the the onset of my trauma and one of the ways i showed up unknowingly you know this is all in retrospect one of the ways i showed up is i'm not going to let anyone know that there's anything different about me and therefore, what I needed to do, because I couldn't let anyone see me, is, is just shove down anything I was feeling, mm. right? Because I was, I was scared. I felt filthy. I felt unsafe in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. My hypervigilance, you know, I didn't, of course, know it at the time, right? At just sort of my world as a threat and yet playing the part of it's all good. Right. One of the habits that I created was like the comfort I can get from food. Mm. And it really, really showed up during the pandemic. Again, it showed up again. And here I was, you know, deep in therapy and I don't even know how many hours and yet this fucking thing this base behavior does not want to leave me. You know, it's, it, it, and, and as I think, even as I talk about it now, and it's not resolved, as I talk about it now, there's a bit of fear in me to think it's like the last hold. <laughs> it's, it's like a fascinating clusterfuck. The last hold mm. on my trauma is my relationship with food. And if I let that go, who am I? Mm. Isn't that right. fuckery, right? Like, right, right. But it's also like a coat that we put on. Yes. Right. Like we create these shields, you know, and the habits are part of how we weave together these shields, these coats, these armors, right. To, to protect ourselves and keep us safe. When I imagine healing my relationship with food, and if I say it that way, Mm -hmm. That sounds reasonable. Mm -hmm. That sounds healthy. When I think about 
if someone said to me, oh, well, you're going to have to go on a diet and you're not going to be allowed to have this mm -hmm. right now. And it, it, it's so it's so interesting because I do feel so health, healthy, mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. I feel like someone is ripping something out of me and there will be a hole and I'm going to fill it with something worse. Well, right. And I think the other problem that we that we very much conflate is this idea of how do we define nourishment? Yes. Right. And that's something that I talk to my clients a lot about this concept of what it means to deeply nourish oneself, mm. right? Whether it, and, and, and whether it's through the music we listen to, the massages we have, the people we allow into our intimate physical space, whether it's the, you know, um, the pictures on our walls, the, the flowers in our garden, right? What we put in our mouth, the concept of nourishment. And often when we start thinking about, you know, the habits that we've accrued um, that are like, you know, whether it's shopping, um, whether it's drinking, whether it's eating, all of these sorts of ones, right? You know, having sex with lots of people, whatever it is, right? That, that when we start thinking about changing them, it's you, most of us, when we create these habits, it's, it's in excess. Right. Mm, right. So then, so then the question of nourishment comes off because it, then the, it feels like it's all about deprivation and withdrawal and, you know, with, you know, limiting and constricting and all of that sort of negative connotation around making that shift. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, so with that, Tamsin, with the knowledge that, you know, we do all these things, how how do you help well how do you help people like me <laughs> how do you help this fucked up woman <laughs> you know what no matter the degree right no matter the degree of someone who wants to make a change or changes in their lives how does your work help people to get to get it I, i'm just going to call it to get it handled whatever it is so the first thing I, I always encourage people to do is to gather the data. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, with my background in neuroscience, um, I, I, I'm talking about the qualitative and the quantitative data. So start by, you know, taking a, taking a look and a record and being willing to kind of lift the hood, right? How much am I eating? What am I eating? When am I eating? You know, am I eating three meals a day? Am I eating when I'm, you know, sad, angry, frustrated, mm -hmm. bored, etc. right? So gather that quantitative data, right? And then gather the qualitative data, like how do I feel about all of this? Mm. And what is this, you know, because often, you know, we are the weight we are because that's the weight we're supposed to be. But society is telling us we shouldn't be. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. So so let's let's like lean into that. Right. And also, like, how do I feel, you know, when I eat these things? Like, do I sleep better? Right. Let's gather all of that kind of data. Right. So that we have a have a, a baseline of information, because most of us have no clue what how much we're doing or not doing things or when we're doing things we think we know but when we start tracking it's actually we're like oh <laughs> who knew I was doing this that or the other right so that's the first bit as I say to people gather the data so that you know where you actually stand and then the second thing is to look at so I sort of this sort of trifecta approach where I say okay so let's have that and that's the kind of the microscope like how are you actually spending your days and your times and what are you doing and then let's take out the telescope and look at the kind of life you are creating for yourself, the relationships you want, the business you want, the family you want, the home you want, the body you want, all of that, right? And then let's tie the microscope to the telescope, mm. right? 
So, you know, one of the things that often gets people stuck there is that they haven't allowed themselves the space to really get into the what am I creating for myself? Because they've been too connected to either I'm a woman, I'm a mother, I have this degree, I've got this debt, fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. All of the shoulds of society, you know, that we've added in there. And so it's that step back of going like, what do I actually really want? You know, do I want to actually live in a hut and be off the grid? You know, do I want to live by the sea and never wear shoes and winter boots again? Do I like what do I want? Like society's telling me this, that and the other. And I've lived in this whatever, you know, in this in this framework, because that's what I thought, you know, go to college, get married, get a mortgage, have kids, blah, blah, blah. Right. Is this actually the life I want? Mm. And then tie the two together. Right. So that's really what I do, because, you know, when the alarm goes off at five in the morning for you to get to the gym and it's fucking northeast Ohio and it's 20 degrees below and you think, God damn it, I'd really rather roll over and then go to Dunkin Donuts on the way to work. <laughs> if you stop and go, part of my life vision is that I want to be able to crawl around the floor with my grandkids. There's no way in hell I'm going to be going to be able to do that if I don't get up and get to the gym four days a week. Part of my life vision is that I want to, you know, hike up Machu Picchu with my kids when they graduate high school and I need a boy, et cetera, et cetera. Right? So when you start getting clear on this is the life I'm creating for myself, then when the kind of of the daily habits and rituals comes up, you step back and you go, why am I doing this? Like, what's the point? Right, right. Yeah, I love that created life, right? Yeah. Because that's what we're here for. Right. Yeah. A, a former coach of mine often speaks about created life versus reported life. Mm -hmm. Reported life is, right, I'm a mom. I'm a executive and leadership coach. I live in Northeast Ohio. I'm a Virgo. I like racquetball and skiing, neither of which are true. I don't like racquetball or skiing. But the bottom line is just reporting on the details versus, right, I live a life of freedom and spirit and connectedness and deep and deepening relationships and uh, surrender. Mm -hmm. That's a created life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, love it. Some alarm bells were going off for me mm -hmm. while you were speaking. There is a way, and I and again, I'm using my research group of one, me, there is a way that the powerlessness of trauma mm -hmm. has an echo in my life. And thank God I've had a lot of brilliant support along the way that has opened me up to, you know, I am power and I can uncouple myself from my abuser and therefore I generate my power. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm looking back, you know, back over my life where I'm like, huh, all of those things that I say I want, I can say I want them. It's my worthiness that's going to fuck me over. And how do I wrestle with unworthiness, unlovable and desire? Mm. 
So, I mean, I, I th there, you know, there are lots of different tools out there and part of, you know, being a good coach is working with your client to look for the right ones. Right. But, you know, one of the most powerful things is to, is to, is basically to retrain the mind, right. Mm -hmm. Is to do sort of work around mantras, for example, which are incredibly powerful. Right. So we know the way that our brains work is what fires together, wires together. And one of the things that I love is to bring the East and the West together. So, you know, what I'll say to people is like when they're when if you know, when I have when I have um, clients or, or audience who are very kind of ugh, when I talk about the sort of law of attraction stuff, I'll say, look, when you repeatedly get clarity on how you want to feel about yourself, the world you're trying to create, the income you want to bring in every month, all the relationships you want, the body you want what you're doing is you're projecting yourself into the future, right? And when you see that, talk about that, look at the vision board, journal on that, share that with your friends, what you're doing is you're creating a neural pathway, right? You are laying the foundations for that reality rather than the other reality, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, the one way to maybe think about it is like a rose bush, right? And if you just let the rose bush grow, it's going to not produce the best blooms because the energy is dispersed, right? Or maybe following down one pathway. So what you're doing here is you're, prune you're taking charge and you're pruning mm. and you're going, I want the energy to flow here. And this is what I want to think about and feel about and focus on. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, that sounds reasonable and that sounds easy um <laughs> and and i as someone who's who is very open and certainly open to personal growth there's the there's this voice in me that's like yes all of that would be really fun but us over here your your shitty committee in your head karen that lives in your head we're not going to really let those things happen Right, right. So, so that's where you have to do that. I mean, the thing, the interesting thing about habits is that, you know, we'll wake up and go, I don't want to meditate. I don't want to have a green smoothie. I don't want to go to the gym. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, all of that stuff sounds really boring and virtuous and uh, screw all of that shit, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. So part of it is just going uh, like, I'm just going to do it. It's like flossing. Yes. Right? So some days my morning habits are like flossing. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not excited to meditate. I'm not excited to write down 10 times in my journal, you know, a particular mantra that I'm mm -hmm. working on. But like, I don't want to get a filling and I want to think and feel this way about myself. So I'm right. going to do the goddamn work, you know? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's commitment in there. There's commitment. There's vision. Yeah. There's, okay, I, and, and this is actually, this is a practice that I have with myself. I'm aware that the committee still lives in my head mm -hmm. and I give my committee jobs. Mm, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's one, my, a friend of mine, Dawn, who lives in Vancouver Island and is an amazing human being. Um, one of the suggestions she gave me, and I think this was a practice she does with herself, is to give your survival mechanisms jobs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and say, you know, it's cool. You all get to stay, mm -hmm. but I'm going to be over here writing down my mantra, doing my workout, mm -hmm. drinking my green smoothie, mm -hmm. all of you and the job. 
Dawn's particular job that she introduced me to is like the best one ever. I've been using it for five years is sorting Legos. Mm, right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I learned about this. I went to a workshop with Liz Gilbert and Cheryl Strayed mm. at Multiversity a few years ago. And they were talking about exactly the same thing. And the and the the euphemism that Liz Gilbert gave was, "I'm driving the car and choosing the radio station. You are in the back, and I might listen to you, but you do not get to dictate the destination, the route we take, or what we're listening to along the way." Which I loved. And Cheryl Strayed's response was exactly that. And so she's like, you know, whatever this niggly thing is in your head. So mine, I decided, was going to be like an ice skating coach. <laughs> It was like higher, pointier, yeah. you know, suck in your belly, smile more, you know, <laughs> um, you know, what jump higher, spin more, you right. know, more gracefully, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. You know, what's really, this is really strange, Tamsin. I think I was at that very, you're talking about 1440, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, was I at that same thing? Oh my God, that would be so cool. That was 2017, I want to say. Yes. yes. Oh my God, I love it. That is so <laughs> bizarre. Awesome. So um, listeners, Tamsin lives like 10 minutes from me. We both live in Northeast Ohio and we have never met. And yet we have a whole universe of friends overlapping. Yep. <laughs> I could walk to Tamsin's house and hear... We actually have never been face to face. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Tamsin, what haven't you told us that you think we should know? Oh, that's a good question. I think that one of the most important things to remember is our inherent resilience mm. first, that learning to move from victim to victor energy is a process, right? And it's not always going to go straight up, right? It's going to be two steps forwards, one step back, three steps forward, four steps back, right? And that it's, you know, you're, there are going to be moments that remind you of those that trigger the, the past, right? So we are hugely resilient. We can move from victim to victor. The journey is not linear. And just give yourself grace, right? I think just be loving and kind to yourself, right? And don't get stuck on on what you haven't done, get stuck on what you have done. Because, you know, our brains are evolutionarily wired to look at where we're failing, look at what is not working. And that's, you know, was to protect us on the savannah, right? Mm -hmm, right. From the saber-toothed tiger and the woolly mammoth, right? But what that translates to is, I didn't make the money this week. I didn't lose the pounds this week. I didn't work out. I did, 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 did. I didn't make my kids softball get whatever it was, right? Rather than going, this is all the stuff I did do. Mm. Yeah. And for so many of us, especially over the last year and a half, mm -hmm. just surviving right. is huge. I shouldn't say just. Surviving is huge. There are, we've survived loss and mm -hmm. anger, disappointment, all of the emotions. Mm -hmm. And here we are. We did it. Townsend, what are you most excited about in your world? Huh, I am excited about um, my oldest son is being employed this summer for the first time, which is really exciting. And I'm loving watching his journey through that. 
and I am newly in love, which is just really juicy and Ooh. fun and just, and it just feels qualitatively different. I was telling a girlfriend, what's so funny about it is, is I'm like, where's the drama? Mm. Like, why am I expecting there to be drama? There's no drama. This just feels really like, like mellow and great, you know? So that's wow. And I'm really hoping to get to see my family because I haven't seen them in a year and a half and I normally see them every three months. And so I'm really hoping I can get the kids and myself back to the UK at some point in the next few months. So that's the other thing that I'm crossing fingers for. Yeah. Right. Right. Wow. Beautiful. In love, the possibility of travel, new chapter for your son. Yeah. Really, really nice. What's been most helpful for you by being a guest here in the Trauma Hiders Club? I find it always helpful to revisit and articulate my experiences because, you know, even if I've had similar questions before, you know, being pushed to think about what they mean for me, how I can help others, how to articulate, you know, my learnings, because I've, I've always been a silver linings kind of chick, you know, mm -hmm. so there's something really powerful about going through that process in multiple iterations to think about, you know, who am I, what have I experienced and what can I, how can I then show up in service to others through that? Right. Yes. The world needs you. Thank you, love. Absolutely. Yay. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you for being here in the Trauma Hiders Club. It's been lovely spending this time with you and um, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're close to me. And in this connected universe, you're close to everyone else too. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Karen. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.